You're listening to Chris Farrell's On Watch podcast from Judicial Watch. I'm Chris Farrell, and this is On Watch. Welcome to On Watch, everybody, the Judicial Watch podcast, where we go behind the headlines to report on things that the mainstream media would rather you not know about, where we try to recover some lost history and explain the inexplicable. We appreciate you taking time to join us whether you're watching us in the online or on the video version of this podcast or listening to us on the audio version on any of the platforms that are out there. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your interest. We want to know what you want us to cover, so please communicate with us. Email us at info at judicialwatch.org and tell us what you think. Be sure to subscribe. Leave us a rating uh, on any of those platforms that you're listening or watching on so thank you again for joining us. Today, a real treat. We have Cheryl Chumley joining us. She is the online opinion editor at the Washington Times. She also is a commentary writer in her own right, and she hosts a really great podcast that all of you should subscribe to, and that's the Bold and Blunt podcast. Cheryl Chumley, welcome to On Watch. Hi, Chris. It's so great to be with you. Thank you for having me. It's great. We're really glad you're taking time out of your business schedule to talk to us and to talk to all the folks that are watching this or listening to it uh, online. Um, Cheryl, you've done some great opinion writing, frankly, for years, but I want to focus on the last couple of uh, things you've written that I think are, are really uh, very important given our current uh, state of affairs, the current situation in the country. And there's sort of this broader view piece that you did a few days ago, maybe a week, and it talks about how Democrats are rushing to destroy America. That's, it's both a provocative title and it's true. <laughs> so tell me, tell me about the article. Tell me about what inspired you to write that. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, you know, Democrats have been a little bit desperate uh, for some time now as they're watching the poll numbers fall for Joe Biden. And uh, as the numbers at, at the same time rise for Donald Trump, even with all his legal woes. And so they know Joe Biden, who is, in my view, the puppet president. Um, it's been talked about that he's the third term of Barack Obama. And sure. I, I think you can certainly make that case yep. as truthful. And so they know that he only has a year or so left. And they're rushing to bring forth this massive globalist agenda that frankly the left has been trying to bring into america for decades now but really they haven't had any opportunity like now to do it and so they're trying to bring this agenda in solidify it before donald trump comes back and takes back the white house which even with all his legal issues he's really on a fast track to do that i agree with you i agree you know i think that one of the things that is good evidence of that of, of the, this, uh, this motive that you, that you kind of attribute to Democrats' efforts showed up in the uh, Senate bill for foreign aid to Ukraine, to Israel, and to Taiwan. And buried in there, J.D. Vance, I think, famously pointed this out, maybe, maybe Mike Lee as well, in various tweets. But buried inside this foreign aid bill for military uh, support was something about how if, the, if a future president or future executive fails to enact or to carry out the funding in this, uh, this bill envisioned to go out to 
I don't know, 2030 or something. It was, it's a forever, never-ending money, never-ending war bill. That if they, if they failed to do that, it was an impeachable offense. And, and that's buried in the language or words to that effect. I mean, is that evidence of what you're talking about? Oh, oh, precisely. Right. It, and and Democrats are very clever at using the legislative process to insert in secret hidden agendas in in oversized bills that nobody has time to read, even the politicians who vote on it. So this has been a long uh, running uh, thing, trend in Congress to to bring these huge bills forward and stuff it as full of as much personal agenda as possible. But that particular uh, you know item that you pointed out is just a, a case in point textbook example of how Democrats are a desperate because they know they're they're failing with the American people and b just trying to subvert any future constitutional process by locking in place certain provisions that if it were done openly, the American people would automatically reject. Yeah, I, w I was waiting to find some, you know, subparagraph in Taiwan that guaranteed unlimited abortion at government expense <laughs> for everyone. I mean, that, that, that's another kind of technique that they use. They'll take something completely unrelated. They'll be discussing Taiwanese military defense and somehow abortion will appear in it. I mean, that happens over and over again. It does. And it's just part. And honestly, let, let's be truthful. Republicans do this, too. Right. It's just been a a political trend where our legislators just insert all kinds of special agendas in the bills and so forth uh, that make it very difficult as American citizens to track uh, and to find out what our political leaders are doing. But Democrats have done it a lot more a lot more frequently and a lot more egregiously. And when they can't get it done, the legislative route, they bring forth some sort of ridiculous notion like Barack Obama used to sing, I have a cell, I have a, a phone, I, I have a, a pen, I have a cell phone, who needs Congress? And they're very open about bringing forth their so-called progressive, but honestly, it's more Marxist types principles that way. Yeah, I always am uh, aghast or I guess, uh I guess if, you, if they're going to play that game, and they do, as, as you've said, both sides play it, it's just always remarkable at how much more stupidly the Republicans play the game, right? They always <laughs> kind of give it away in the first round, you know, where they, okay, and then they surrender immediately upon uh, any sort of effort to advance a, a more conservative agenda on things. Um, sure. I want to get your impression, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we've had, it's been an astounding sort of pace or tempo of news events. And uh, I think probably, you know, something that we'll be talking about, whether it's later this election year or really e even to the next term of whoever is president, is special counsel HERS report on Biden's mishandling of classified documents and then uh, President Biden's reaction that night. I, I want to get your impression on, on both of those pieces. What did you think of hers report? And then what did you think of Biden's performance that evening? Well, it, it's good that her pointed out what we all knew from even the campaign days of Joe Biden in his basement, that 
mentally speaking, he's a little bit on the incompetent side, and that's putting it uh, nicely. But it, it's unfortunate that once again, we're not going to have any accountability for our political leaders. Uh, that just seems par for the course when it comes time to politicians, uh, particularly Democrat politicians, when they do something that goes afoul of law, that they're not held to any sort of consequences or accountability. And as far as Joe Biden's response, you know, are you are you talking about when he when he claimed that he's perfectly all right, uh, competent, <laughs> wise, and then mixes up? I think it was Mexico with Egypt. Or right, right. are you are you talking about his reaction to um, her pointing out about his son's death and he couldn't recall the date? Because either way, it's just it's more from this president that just solidifies the opinion that he is not there uh, mentally strong enough to lead this country. And another, it's a minor point, but I mean, it just goes to the, his inability to complete a full thought and articulate it. And that is uh, in defense of remembering what his son's death date was, which of course he didn't say, because I don't think he could recall it at that moment. He made this sort of uh, hesitant uh, uh, or, or staggered sort of response where he talked about a a. Uh, bracelet rosary that his son had given him and he said and he gave it to me and he got it from Our Lady of and stopped because <laughs> he couldn't recall which Marian shrine or you know whatever church it was he couldn't complete the sentence because he didn't know what he was saying he could not recall just just like he tries to attribute his son's death to combat in Iraq and it, right. it I mean it simply is not the case so I think uh, there's some conflation. There's this, uh, this mixing together of ideas and facts and circumstances that he himself can't keep straight. And to me, that's, I mean, wildly disturbing, let alone a White House that's out of control uh, with respect to, I mean, look, Jake Sullivan's the national security advisor. I mean, that should make people's skin crawl to begin with. But even then, his secretary of defense takes a walk for a week and doesn't tell anybody he's sitting in the hospital in, in dire medical uh, straits. Nobody knows, nobody's told. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs knows. He doesn't think he needs to tell anybody. I mean, this is a, a White House that is out of control. And we're all supposed to go whistling along like everything's fine. I mean, I think we're, we are in incredibly grave circumstances and I don't think I'm exaggerating. I mean, I've, I've been around here a long time, and this is the, the, the most dysfunctional I've seen. It's true. It's true. And, you know, you can go back in time, and you're right. Even under Barack Obama, we didn't have the chaos and so forth of of a president who could not complete a sentence, right? So there's some mental issues going on there with our president. And I know we all have great fun in the media, uh, poking fun and writing stories about how he called out this dead person or tried to uh, shake the hand of that dead person and traipsed off for his next ice cream cone and so forth. And it, it's fun, right? But at the same time, 
for a very long time, really since campaign days when he couldn't make a public appearance uh, without making a, a ton of gaffes, as they were called back then. Right. Uh, it, it's a national security issue, right? Because it's not just American citizens watching our feckless president stumble about stages. It's our enemies in foreign governments. And I think that they have exploited the situation pretty well. Uh, and I think that if you're looking at the last year of presidency, there is some alarm over where our uh, foreign enemies are going to advance next because they're going to be trying to rush too if they think Donald Trump is going to come back into the White House. Yeah, sort of the, the thought experiment for me was having watched Biden live in that press conference and look, his presidency was in the balance at that point. And I would say that, you know, given his overall performance, he failed. But... <clears throat> At the same time he was giving that press conference, Tucker Carlson had just released or put up online a two-hour interview that he conducted with Biden's opposite number in Russia, Putin. Now, I loathe Putin. Uh, you know, I know the kind of uh, character that he is and what he's done, so I'm no Putin apologist. However, I saw Biden stagger through a 15-minute press conference where he jumped all over the map, and we've already discussed his, his gaffes. But I watch uh, Putin, uh, at least for a little while, run circles around Tucker Carlson and dominate an interview and provide long half-hour history lessons on you know, Russian history since the ninth century. I mean, these are two very different guys with very different faculties, very different capabilities. And uh, I mean, how do you resolve this? I mean, given a fact or given a crisis, given a set of circumstances, who's more apt? Who has greater facility to deal with a crisis? I think the question answers itself. It does. And it reminds me, listening to your description, right, of Putin versus Biden, it reminds me when you go back in time to Barack Obama, when you had Barack Obama, I think it was a, a photograph of him in sandals eating some ice cream on Martha's Vineyard, I, I believe. Right. And then you had Putin uh, shirtless uh, atop a, a horse, right, riding <laughs> horseback. And do you remember those two images and how they played out in yeah. the media? And it was it was sort of the same then, only it, it, it's worse now because you have a president who is aging in America and he's just obviously he's dealing with you know a mental decline yeah. and it's just I can't emphasize enough, it's just a national security issue for America, and it also is of a big national or security issue to our allies, right? Israel, think of think of poor Israel depending on America at this time. Right. It's perilous times not just for us, but for our allies too. And I think, I think President Biden's commentary on Israel and their activities in Gaza, I think he referred to them as being over the top. Yes. You know, so comparatively, if you look at the scale of the attack on October 7th against Israel and line it up with our, uh, and you can't, right? It's an impossible comparison. But just, again, as a thought experiment, what Israel suffered on October 7th versus what the United States suffered on 9-11, the impact on Israel proportionally is much more mm -hmm. grave and more yes. damaging, more jarring. Doing this analysis is very awkward and difficult, but I'm just trying to give you and give our viewers 
a sense of the scale of impact, not that anybody's life is worth more or less. Don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to say, proportionally, there's an enormous impact on a very small country. And it, it, it also, uh, I think it, it's jarring to their psyche as a nation in a different way than it was in, in the United States. And so, you know, we go off and we spend 20 years in Southwest Asia invading countries and conducting warfare. That's a pretty over-the-top, I mean, one could argue that that's an over-the-top reaction in a way that is nothing like what Israel's doing in Gaza. I mean, do you see the, the disconsonance between the language Biden uses creates more confusion, more turmoil, more dissension, and is, is in essence betraying really the only or the chief ally we have in the Middle East. This is dangerous stuff. It, it, it creates more unrest and confusion. He's not contributing to peace. He's not supporting an ally. He's actually giving ammunition to the people who did what happened on October 7th. He definitely is. And, uh, you know, your comparison with September 11th is is a comparison that the Israelis make themselves. They call the Hamas attack on them on October 7th their own version of September 11th. Right. And proportionally, you're, you're dead on, right? It's just proportionally speaking, it was uh, a horror show for them. And they're still uh, reeling from the impacts because they're still host hostages, don't forget. And you're absolutely right about this White House administration. When Antony Blinken goes over there and insists that Benjamin Netanyahu uh, bring about a two-state solution, that is like signing a death warrant to the Israelis. And they, they're rightly resistant, and reluctant and outright refusing to consider a two-state solution because it's like this, Chris, how do you strike a deal with people who wanna eradicate you from the face of the earth, right? right? You, you can't right. strike a middle ground with that. Right. And that is exactly what a two-state solution and solution in air quotes would bring for them. You know, here's the other thing. Why isn't Biden, or why aren't Biden and Blinken saying, before we conduct any further discussions, any further aid, any further anything, you have to release all the hostages. We're not going to play games with people who are actively holding hostages and threatening their lives. So that's, that's point one. Once you resolve the hostage issue, then we can have a conversation. But until then, Israel's going to do what it needs to do. I mean, you don't hear that. And, and I don't know how we can play this game where we're going to play patty cake and talk out of both sides of our mouth, where there's actively hostages being held by the people who did horrendous things on October 7th. Second point, different theater of operations completely. Why is there zero conversation about a ceasefire and peace negotiations for Ukraine? I, why is that forbidden? Why, I'm not saying that Ukraine gives up or surrenders or turns itself over to Russia. No, I'm not saying that. But you're talking about four provinces in eastern Ukraine that Russia is struggling to consolidate and control. 400,000 Ukrainians dead. There's no condition of saying, look, we need to end this now. Cease fire. Just stop killing each other. I mean, do you see the parallels between these two major conflicts? And the leadership from the Biden administration is zero. 
So with Ukraine, I remember a year ago, maybe even longer, that Senator Rand Paul was one of the few members uh, on Capitol Hill who was requesting accountability and transparency for American tax dollars that were just an open spigot, right, flowing into there. And he was just vilified. And then the media would come out and, and do due diligence, uh, cover for the Democrats and show pictures of, of poor children in Ukraine and crying mothers and so forth to uh, basically help push the continuation of funding. And so why can't we ask questions about funding first and foremost? Right. I mean, American taxpayers are just, we're just opening our pockets and pocketbooks to Ukraine. And if we're gonna blow American tax dollars that way, I'd rather have them stay in America, right? And so this is the problem when America gets involved with a proxy war. And even more than that, this is the problem when we've gone away from the idea, which is based in the Constitution, that only Congress has the power to declare war, right? Amen. We have like the War Powers Act now. We had Bill Clinton using the War Powers Act. And every president since kind of wages their own war up to a certain amount of time and then hopes that Congress, right, We'll take it from there, but Congress doesn't want accountability for declaring war. So we have these nonstop wars. And now we're at the point with Ukraine where the American people don't even understand the constitutional aspects of waging a proxy war or waging war anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just an open pocketbook flowing from us to foreign nations that, as you ask, Chris, why? Why? Why so much money? What's the end game? What's the mission here for America? And, and all the while, our southern border remains right. wide, wide open. <laughs> right. We're supposed to go to the ends of the earth to defend Ukraine's borders, but our own border, wide open. <laughs> and, and the northern border, Canada as correct, well. Correct, yes. that's also true. Um, You've got an excellent podcast called Bold and Blunt. Tell us about Bold and Blunt and where our viewers and listeners can, can, uh, can listen to that. Thank you. So you can subscribe to it at Washington Times, but you can get it anywhere podcasts are offered. And it's basically my take on uh, issues of the day from a Christian conservative perspective. And then I always have uh, great, interesting guests. I just had... Pastor Jack Hibbs on talking about prophecy. I had Senator Ron Johnson talking about the dangers of the COVID shots uh, and everybody in between. So it, it's it's a fun show and it comes out twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's great. Your work at the Washington Times is both a commentary writer, we've kind of covered that a little bit, but tell folks what you do. What does an online opinion editor do? What's, what's your day-to-day -day stuff? Uh, I, I scan the news for stuff that gets me upset to write about, and then I write about it. <laughs> and usually that's anything that runs contrary to, uh, you know, the Constitution and Founding Fathers' views for America, which gives me a wide field. Uh, I also look at, you know, people can submit opinion pieces to me, and I'll help send them on up the chain for consideration. Sure. So. Uh you know, there's a lot of folks out there watching this or listening to this who say, boy, I wish I had that job. I would love to. <laughs> I would love to be paid. the best job in the world. <laughs> I would yes. love to be paid to kind of scan the news and figure out what's of interest and, and then yep. opine on that or at least <laughs> take submissions and review that also as well for, for publication. Uh, Cheryl, where can folks, I know at Washington Times, but where else mm -hmm. can folks uh, find your work or follow you or if they want to learn more about uh, both your work at the Washington Times and then obviously also your podcast, Bold and Blunt, what's the best way to track what you're up to? 
So I have a Substack, CherylChumley.substack. You can find me on X at CK Chumley and all the social media under my name. And um, I also have a website where you can link, you can check out my book, CherylChumley.com. Tell us, um, before we close out, I guess I'll give you the last word on this. Tell us about your uh, book and, and where fo- what, what it's about and where folks can find it as well. Well, my, my latest one, I have four nonfiction. My latest is Lockdown, the Socialist Plan to Take Away Your Freedom. Coming out in September is God-Given or Bust, Defeating Marxism and Saving America with Biblical, with biblical Truths. Excuse me. That's a great combination. Biblical truth, uh, you know, a good friend of mine many years ago, he was an Anglican uh, priest. We were discussing sort of all the problems in the world and the various turmoil we face, much like our conversation now. And he leaned over and said to me, hey, listen, uh, you know, in the end, God wins, right? Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> whatever, right. whatever we're dealing with, we, can, uh, we, we never abandon hope. And, uh, and we, we have confidence and trust in uh, God wins. So that's, uh, that's right. That's, Amen, Chris. That's right. <laughs> very good. Cheryl Chumley, opinion, online opinion editor for The Washington Times, commentary writer, host of Bold and Blunt. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm Chris Farrell on Watch. Thanks for listening to Chris Farrell's On Watch podcast. For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law.